Morning, Crossway. Thank you. Um, so, I don't know why it is the case, but many times, and the youth group can attest to this, a lot of my introductions and my sermons are me quoting song lyrics. Um, that's what I do, and this past year, I spent too much time trying to listen to all the top 40 on the radio. I try to give K-pop a try. It's hard to quote those lyrics. Um, I decided to go for a little bit more of an underground band. Um, they kind of were big when I was a high schooler. Um, they reside in Irvine, so shout out to those um, who are from there. They're this band called Thrice. Um, the, the lead singer of that band was a worship leader at the time. But um, what was fascinating about their band is they would play these shows with people who were totally unchurched, and they would sing these, sing these low-key, heavy theological songs. Are you ready for one? Okay. This is their song off their album called Beggars, titled All the World is Mad. Okay. Quote, we are saints made of plaster, our laughter is canned, we are demons that hide in the mirror. Okay, wow. But the blood on our hands paints a picture exceedingly clear, we are brimming with cumbersome, murderous greed, malevolence deep and profound. We do unspeakable deeds, does our wickedness know any bounds? Wow. Can you imagine a non-church setting and people just fists in the air going, yeah, wickedness that knows no bounds? That's probably what their shows look like. I quote that song to you that you probably have never heard. Um, this is a great rock song. Um, because I imagine that the city of Sodom um, would be the location where someone sings these lyrics. Um, malevolence deep and profound, unspeakable deeds does our wickedness know any bounds. So we're in the book of Genesis, and uh, I really believe that the Bible is repetitious for a reason. I think the main thread in the book of Genesis is that God comes to Abraham, and he's going to fix the world through him. Right? You guys have been in this series with me. He's going to fix the world by giving them this great land. He's going to make them a great people. And in this people is going to come blessing for all the families and nations of the earth. So why the heck has Sodom come up? Um, it almost feels like an interruption when you're reading the book of Genesis. All of a sudden, God and his messengers take notice of Sodom. They set their direction towards there. Abraham is hosting these guys. And it comes up that in verse 17, as we just read, the Lord says to himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And I really believe this morning and in this passage that God just wants to be very clear. Abraham, I want to show you something very, very, very specific that, I, that in my dealings with Sodom, that's going to show you a little bit of my character and give you encouragement. If you guys remember Abraham, once again, it's super repetitious. Chapter 3, chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 22, God keeps telling him, hey, you're going to have a kid. And Abraham's like, yes, I believe, righteousness. And then he tells his wife, oh, we're still going to have a kid. And eventually, right before this, right, these angels tell him that, and they just laugh. Why do they laugh? Because they're 100. You guys do the biology, 100-year-olds don't get pregnant, okay? They just don't. The, the passage in verse chapter 18 said, the way of women had passed. Okay, you guys can figure out what that means. So, what is God doing here? Why does he turn his attention to Sodom? It shows us in verse 19 that, not verse 19, where is it? In verse 20, this outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Their sin is very grave, and it comes up to him, and he wants to show 
Abraham something. So I've, 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 tried, to, I've tried to structure this sermon in three points, okay? Because, you know, all sermons are three points. Okay? First point. The Lord is a God of justice and righteousness. Amen? We don't usually, we don't usually praise him for that. Um, but he is. He has specifically told Abraham that your people, the way the promise is going to come, in some way, that your way of living is supposed to demonstrate these two attributes, justice and righteousness. And so to the point where Deuteronomy chapter 4 says that when people look at the way that you guys do life, they're going to they're gonna marvel at how upright and how glorious and how superior their way of living is. That their moral behavior, right, is going to draw people's attention and make them ask questions about their God. Okay, so let me just define justice and righteousness according to Tim Keller in his book called Generous Justice. Justice is this idea of giving people what they are due, whether that's punishment, protection, or care in a courtroom setting, which is always the case most of the time. It is either declaring someone guilty or innocent based on what they have done or merited, regardless of their race, their gender, their social status. That is, a righteous judge does not take into account all the peripherals. He just decides based off what has been done or not done, right? That's justice. The Hebrew word for mishpat is this idea of, de- of, of action, correction. Second word, righteousness. And you guys, if you follow the Bible, Old Testament, justice and righteousness are like peanut butter and jelly. They're always together, okay? Just always. Justice and righteousness. And Tim Keller makes this super crazy um, uh, observation. And first he, he, first he says, righteousness refers to the life of right relationships. These ideas of fairness, generosity, and equity. A person who was truly righteous lived in such a way that everywhere he went, from the marketplace to the synagogue to the community, and how he even treated a stranger was to be done with integrity and fairness. Tim Keller says that if true righteousness lived in our land, there would be no need for justice. Y'all agree? If true righteousness, if we really treated each other that way, there would be no need for a courtroom. But God, being God, knows that because of the fall, there's going to definitely be a need for the courtroom. There's going to be needing just people protecting the, the most vulnerable society. So, he tells him that. And here's the crazy thing, okay? I, I said this this morning. Um, how many of you guys, uh, who, those of you who are married, how, would, how many of you would say you're the negotiator? And what I mean by that is when you go to a hotel and you book this deal and you get that 30% off, right? Black Friday, whatever. You go to the front desk and the person shorts you. Who's the one that speaks up? Is it usually maybe it's the wife? I don't know. Us dads, us, us husbands just cowering in the corner. Uh, uh, how about you set up the dentist appointment? Uh, you know, we, we don't want to talk, right? What's interesting here is that Abraham is negotiating with the God of the universe. Have you ever done that before? I don't know that my prayers have ever come close to that. I, I just, I don't feel like it go well for me. I'm not, I, you know, I, I did take a class in college called negotiation and conflict management, but I don't think it's going to help me here. God has this conversation with Abraham, and Abraham asks this in verse 22. He stands before the Lord. He draws near. He says, God, in relation to Sodom, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Are you going to sweep them away and not spare the 50 righteous? And it shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. Abraham is kind of weird. Like, would you ever question an attribute of God to his face? 
Um, and yet Abraham here is asking God, if there are 50 righteous in all the city of Sodom, would you spare them? You know, what's crazier is that Abraham, once God, by his sheer mercy, relents and says, no, I will not. You guys know what Abraham does. When you guys get that deal, are you content or do you keep going? Right? Abraham's like, I'm going to keep going. How about, how, about, how about 45, God? Yes. How about, how about, how about 30? How about 20? Oh, God, I don't want to disrespect your name, but how about 10? And God, each time, God mercifully says, if there are that many righteous people, on account of the righteous, I will spare this unrighteous city of Sodom. Right? Why is Abraham, here's the random thing. Let me ask you all a little question here. Why is Abraham so invested in Sodom? Kind of random, right? You guys remember the beauty of going through the book of Genesis? You know, you start picking up some things. Who lives there? His little nephew, Lot. His little nephew. Um, I have a strange relationship whenever I read the book of Genesis because I'm a little low-key annoyed at Lot all the time. He's just like, he takes the, the good piece of land and he's all helpless in a ditch after a war, you know? And, and here he is back to Sodom as if he didn't learn his lesson. You know, don't move to a city that's known for wickedness and sin, okay? That's the name of their city. And here he is again. This all sets the stage. So we, we've seen this. God is a God of justice and righteousness. He's also a God of mercy. And it sets the scene, and I, I hope it has it up on the screen, chapter 19. This is the scenario that, that plays out. You guys tracking him so far? So God had that conversation with Abraham. If there are 10 righteous people in the city, I'm a spirit. So let's go see if there's 10, okay? Verse 1, the two angels come to Sodom in the evening, and Lot is sitting in the gate. The lo then Lot sees them, rises, and he's basically saying this. I'm going to host you guys, right? And being the good, I imagine them kind of being like Asian and Eastern. They're like, oh, no, we don't want to trouble you. Okay, we don't want to trouble you. Okay, and Lot's like, got to be the, you got to over-honor them. He's like, oh, please. No, 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 no. Okay, you guys have that conversation all the time with people who are elders, right? So, or just paying for dim sum or something, okay? So, 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 so Lot gets them, hosts them, prepares this meal for them, and as they're about to go to bed, Verse 4 in chapter 19 reads this. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, I don't know how many people are in the city of Sodom, but the entire town comes to the entrance of their house, surrounds the house, and they call out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Um, we have youth in the room today, adults. You guys have probably heard this Hebrew word, yada. It means to know. It has intimate connotations. Um, what is going on here? The entire city of Sodom sees these guests, people that you're supposed to honor and send on their way, provide for their needs, and then they move on. And they say, we want to violate them. We want to do vile, depraved things to these men. I started this sermon quoting those lyrics, malevolence, deep and profound, wickedness, does it have any bounds? Y'all starting to see this? This is some dark stuff. It gets worse. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him. He said, I beg you, my brothers. Look at Lot, so annoying. 
Sodom, my brothers. Okay, great. It's not the best friends to have, bro. Do not act wickedly. Behold, oh my gosh, you, I'm, I can barely get through verse 8 without getting angry. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. I'm, I can't reread that again. I'm a new girl dad. I'm not going to go there. Y'all know what he just said? Let me do a little sidebar rant here. When you're honoring someone else for the sake of your family name, sacrifices your daughters, you have an idol. Can I speak as from mostly Asian room, okay? Y'all see me, I'm Asian, I'm, you know? When our honor that we inherited from Confucius and whoever, okay, becomes so deep that our family name sacrifices our family, we got to really question whether our honor is legit or not, whether it's really from God, okay? So I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to come back. What is Lot doing? What do we learn from these guys? Because the, 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 the people of, uh, of Sodom, they go on to say, you know what, Lot, how dare you? you you're just basically visiting here. You're trying to tell us how to live. Come out here, and we're going to treat you worse than, than everybody else, right? So what do we learn from this? Sodom is just as wicked and sinful as they were built to be. That's one. Number two, Lot is shown to be just as wicked and as unrighteous as Sodom. Do you guys know when Abraham came to God and said, hey, if there's 10 righteous people in the city, you know, would you spare it? God says yes. Do you guys know who he's picturing? He's probably picturing Lot and his family. He's like, there's 10 righteous people, God. What do we learn about this passage? Lot ain't one of them. In fact, you can make the case there are zero righteous people in Sodom. Hence why God heard the outcry and the grave sin that they had committed. So here's my other question to you. Why the heck does God even rescue Lot? Same guy who chose to dwell in Sodom. Same guy desperately in need in the ditch after this war. Same guy who, who willingly offers his two daughters to the worst kinds of dudes you could give your daughters to. Why does he save him? And, and the scene goes on that the messengers of the Lord, they, they extend the mercy of God. They, they, they come and they're like, hey, Lot, this place going to be fire. And by youth, you guys know what I mean? But it's not, like, it's not a good playlist or something. It's like fire's going to come down and burn this whole thing up. So let's get out of here. You know what Lot does? I can relate to this. He hesitates. He hesitates and he lingers. Tell your daughters, tell your sons-in-law, get out of here, for this place is going to go up in flames. Lot willingly, not willingly, hesitantly gets out of there. And the question is, why does God save him? And, you know, I made a big point about this. What is God trying to show Abraham? There's two things that were like sub-points. It's that he's just and righteous. He's also merciful. But the last one is really this. God is so committed to bringing blessing through Abraham. God wants to show Abraham, I am so committed to bringing blessing through you to all the nations of the earth, including a place as wicked as Sodom. Verse 29, when Abraham looks at the city up in flames, 
So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. These commentators say this. God remembers, identifies this idea of covenant as the basis for God coming and rescuing Lot. It is not because Lot is righteous. Y'all have seen that clearly. This guy's a coward. I actually think, as I was literally sitting here this morning thinking, why did he linger? I think it's because he had so much shame at what he had committed. It is not the righteousness of Lot. He was supposed to represent the righteous, and he is actually more representative of Sodom itself. What is, what is the point? It becomes clear, as, as, as Victor Hamilton, commentator, says, it becomes clear why Lot is spared. An individual who does not deserve to be spared is, is spared only because of another. Lot is spared sheerly and solely because of Abraham. Abraham is to Lot what the hypothetical righteous would have been to Sodom. We have a biblical idea about this. You guys have probably heard it before. The unrighteous are saved on account of the righteous. Lot is only saved because he is associated with the vehicle of blessing to the Lord. It's nothing he did. Where have we heard this before? Could have picked a thousand passages. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ preached beforehand to Abraham, and you shall all the nations be blessed, is that you and I, can be delivered from the domain and the wickedness of darkness and into the kingdom of righteousness by faith in Jesus. To become a son and daughter of Abraham is to likewise join Abraham, to believe that God is going to provide a means of blessing through what, seem, what seemingly does not exist yet. God came to Abraham and said, you're old, we know that. Your wife, she old too. And guess what? You're going to bear a son. And in this lineage is going to come blessing to all the families of the earth. Abraham believed him, counted as righteous. We on this other side of history, we trust that what God did, if we're, we're in this Advent season, that God sent, there was an arrival, there was an in, this, this inbreaking of light into darkness. And when we place our faith, our trust in the person and work of Jesus, the truly righteous one, who bore his, our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, we can be healed by his wounds. So, what does this all teach us? What do we learn from this wicked nation? God is committed to his people. God is committed to bringing blessing through his people. And I'm going to invite you. If you're not sure if you're in that people... The key thing for you is what we, we say is two, two, two words, repentance and faith. You can be included in the family of God by trusting in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And you can be part of this program bringing blessings to the rest of the world. For those of you guys who have already done that, maybe you feel like we're just waiting. I'm so tired of waiting. Anyone else? I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't even know what I'm waiting for sometimes. God hasn't forgotten you. He's committed to his people. But what he's committed to is your holiness, as we say. That we would live in a way that is just and right because of the righteous one who gave himself for us to make us righteous.
And in so doing, I think we come blessings to all the people that God entrusts in our care. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, the true righteous one, the anointed one, the holy one. What we learn in this passage of Sodom is, is kind of sobering, Lord, but we, but we place our faith in the one who came, who arrived and came on the scene, paid our debts so that we can be forgiven, who took our sins so that we can be healed, who emptied himself so that we could be made righteous. Our trust, not in our own selves, and our own works, and our own confidence at our talents that you gifted us in. We put all our faith, we put all our hope, and we ask that you would help us place all our faith and all our hope in your son, Jesus, the true righteous one. We thank you, God, that it's all possible because of him and his finished work. I pray this all in Jesus' name.